Hello, and welcome to another edition of Five Alive Devo. It is a great day here in Chandigarh Mahali. Today, we're going to be talking about the book of John, chapter 15. And there, Jesus gives us a parable of the vine and the branches. And so I remember 20 years ago, we lived in a place called Savannah, Tennessee. We were newly married within the first five years of our marriage. We're in a house there in the city. And I went out to the backyard, and as I was doing some lawn mowing and some work in the yard in order to make it a nice area for us to play in. I found a grapevine out there growing in the middle of the yard. And it was kind of interesting because it didn't look like it had been tended to in a long time. And I never did find out how long that grapevine had been there for. But there was a grapevine nonetheless growing and it was kind of covered by trash all around it. It had all kinds of debris. It had weeds. It had a tree even growing over it. And yet this grapevine was still surviving every season, the harsh winters, the summers. Nobody was tending to it, and yet it was still growing. It didn't have any fruit, but yet there was a grapevine there. And I just thought that that was such an incredible thing. And it got me thinking back then about how resilient the grapevine is, how how strong it is, and how widespread the grapevine is. Did you know that the grapevine has grown almost everywhere in the world? Every single continent, obviously other than Antarctica, uh, every single continent minus Antarctica has some form uh, or some species of a grape and a grapevine. They're long-term plants. Grapevines are not a seasonal plant. They don't die within a six-month season. They don't just spring up in the in the spring or spring up in the fall or only survive the winters, but yet they actually can grow for a long term. One plant I was reading today, one plant can last up to 150 years. And that's if you take none of its offshoots or anything like that. One single vine can last 150 years and they can get humongous. They can get huge, very big. Yet, it's very important in order to get fruit that you have a vine dresser, somebody who comes along and prunes the vines, somebody who comes along and removes the fruit, somebody who comes along and takes away the branches that are not surviving. And that is exactly what we're talking about here in this passage of Scripture today, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. And so we're going to read that today. Xavier, if you would read that for us. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. As I was preparing this week for what we're talking about, I got onto YouTube. Did you notice how many amazing resources we have today? We've got the internet, we've got YouTube, we've got all these cool things that we can go and check stuff out and we can validate or also correct some of the things that maybe we've misunderstood in the years past. And I got onto a YouTube channel, it's called Simplify Gardening. And on Simplify Gardening, the gentleman on there from the UK goes through how you can grow grapes anywhere in the world. And he's actually growing them there in the UK where the conditions are not the easiest. And he even talks about the fact that you can grow the vines um, on flat ground, but usually they do better on slopes. He talks about the soil content, how the soil cannot hold a lot of water, but needs to be sandy and gravelly so that that way water can run off of it. He talks about the fact that watering the root system of the vine is very important, but yet for the branches and the fruit themselves to get too much water is bad for grapes to grow. And all of these different things he talks about in the winter that you remove 90% of all the branches and take it back to the framework so that that way in the new season, new fruit and new branches will come. And it's just a really educational thing, even though I'm probably not going to grow grapes anytime in the near future. I'm just curious, what do you think about whenever we talk about grapes? Like what comes to your mind? Like word association kind of a thing. I say grapes, you say? Purple. Purple. Green. Valerie <laughs> goes opposite. Green. Well, the other word is wine that pops into my head. Okay, well. wine. When we're talking about grapes, what do you think about? It's my favorite. <laughs> it's your favorite. Okay. Do you think about the sweetness of the grapes? Can you taste the grapes in your mouth right now? Like when we're talking about it, like all of a sudden, like, oh man. No? No. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like seedless grapes or seeded grapes better? Seedless. Seeded ones sometimes are sweeter though. So, I mean, it depends on what you want. Like the more purple ones, the red ones that are seeded, they're a lot sweeter. The ones with less seeds are more sour usually. Sure. Well, I only like green ones. You only like green ones? Okay. Do you ever think about what a grapevine looks like? Or do you ever think, like, we've been to several places here in the Middle East where we've gotten to eat even the grape leaves as a part of the food that we eat. Have you ever had grape leaves, the, the leaves and eaten? No? Okay. So, you know, you, you wrap the grape leaves, you put a little bit of meat, a little bit of cabbage, a little bit of the the carrot and things, and, and maybe you boil it or maybe you cook it on a fire or maybe you bake it and the taste is just so good. What I'm trying to say is, is that the grape itself is not the only part of the grapevine that is fruitful as far as consumption goes, as far as what we eat. And Jesus talks about that when he says that he is the vine, he is the structure, he is the foundation. And then who is the vine dresser? Who did he say the vine dresser was? God. God the Father. And then who are the branches? Us. Us. We are the branches. And so every branch does not bear fruit. Sometimes a branch becomes weak. It becomes what would be termed as woody. So in other words, it 
doesn't stay green, but it turns brown, becomes very brittle, easy to break. And then others, the gentleman on the YouTube video I watched, he said spindly is a word that he used. They, they become spindly. And so those, the vine dresser has to come along and he has to remove them. And the branch that does bear fruit will continue to grow an offshoot from the fruit. And he described in his video that it's very important to remove that shoot that continues beyond where the grapes are forming, the cluster of grapes are forming at. And you remove that because if you don't, then all of the energy and the nutrients and the resources that need to go into those grapes will continue to go into that shoot, that vine that comes off. So the vine dresser comes along and he removes that shoot so that that way the fruit will be sweeter it will get all the nutrients that it needs. And this is the work that the father does. So in all of these descriptions of the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches and the fruit, Jesus describes to us uh, a word that he wants us to be each and every day, every moment of the day, and that is that we abide in him. Now, when I say abide, or when Jesus says to abide in me, what is he referencing here? What is he talking about to abide in me? To be in communion, close togetherness, kind of like a home, like you abide in a home, loving, friendly, nice relationship, communication, not just one-sided communication, but listening mm. and hearing what God is speaking and you speak to God. Any other thoughts when it comes to abiding? continuing to be in him uh, i'm looking at the dictionary right now and one of the uh, one of the ways you can use it is as an intransitive verb and it, it means to continue in a place to sojourn to be with the lord and it even gives an example will abide in the house of the lord mm. so from it even the dictionary even uses scripture to define the word abide because that's how we are to be with god is to sojourn and to live and to stay there with him and continue to be in that place. Definitely. If I abide in Christ, does he reciprocate by abiding back in me? He says. His, his words abide in yeah. us. And he abides in us. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's this amazing thing of when he abides in me, his human form body doesn't then come inside of me and take over. He doesn't make me a robot to do all of the things that he would command me to do. I don't then lose my free will and become uh, a different person completely that is no longer Matt Rolance, but now I am Jesus Matt Rolance that does Jesus things only, And right? So when Jesus says, if you abide in me and then I will abide in you, what is he referencing there? I think he's referencing the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, when Jesus talks about the Father, when he says that these things are one, when he says he is one, the triune God is one, and when he references Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and he's talking about I am the Son, the Father is the vine dresser, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and abides inside of us, which then reminds us of the words, as Blair was just talking about, the word that is dwelling in us, and we become one with God. This changes the dynamic of the way people looked at God and the way that God is worshipped and revered. There was a system up until this point where you would sacrifice something in order to appease God. 
So I did something wrong. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need to appease the higher deity so that that way I can have children or so that that way I can have good crops or so that that way my business will be successful. So I sacrifice these things. I make a fire. I burn this thing so that that way God will be pleased with the aroma. I put on these perfumes. There is this sacrifice and appeasement type of relationship. And this is huge throughout here in India where we do certain religious festivals and we sacrifice something in order to appease the gods so that that way our family will be blessed so that that way we'll have great children and all these things. But Jesus is doing away with that type of relationship and saying that's not what we have in Christ. Instead, when you ask Jesus into your heart, there's no longer a sacrifice and appeasement type of a relationship. There is now a oneness of communication, as Blair was talking about, where we become one with God. And so to abide in Jesus means that we are now united as one body, just as the grapevine is united with the branches. So there's no way to not abide in that regard, right? Mm -hmm. In order to be able to bear grapes, in order to bear grape leaves, you have to be a part of the grapevine. It can't do it on its own. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So the shoot can then be cut and the fruit after the fruit is being born, the father comes along and he dresses it. He can then remove, and I watched the video on how this gentleman does this, is he allows three sections of this shoot to come off. He cuts it after the fruit cluster is formed. And then he removes any of the leaves that have been there and he plants it into the soil. And within a couple of days, roots start to form off of that shoot. And yet, if I was to DNA test that shoot, how is it going to look different from the branch that it, from the vine that it came from? Is it going to be different or is it going to be exactly the same? It's going to be the same. It's going to be exactly the same. So that tree, even though in 150 years it dies, any of those shoots that come off of it are still genetically DNA, the exact tree that it came from years and years and years ago. Can you separate the DNA from the vine and the branches and make them two different things? No. Scientifically, we can't do that, can we? No. Can we take a grape branch from another type of grapevine and can we cut a piece of the vine and put that branch into it and will it then graft into the vine yes we can graft and so we can have a muscadine grapevine with a european style grapevine both growing different types of grapes off of the same vine can't we yes and we can take asian grape branches and we can put them into the grapevine and those grapes will continue to survive won't they yeah and they'll continue to form and the vine will become united together no matter what region of the world you took these grape branches from as long as you graft them in properly they will then become one with that grapevine and they will when i cut off any of the offshoots they will now be one with that grapevine and the dna will be connected Scientifically. Yes. So what does that mean spiritually? 
doesn't it mean the same thing spiritually? I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to. And yes, we're in the 21st century. And can you believe that we can even look so much more detailed at what Jesus says in scripture and it become even more alive today than it was 2000 plus years ago when he was giving this uh, parable? The reality is true that Jesus says that if you abide in me, I will abide in you and the two of us are going to become one. I think that's pretty incredible stuff. So if we don't abide in the vine, what happens? We become a shoot sucker. We a shoot sucker. <laughs> they're called a shoot sucker. Yeah. Seriously, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that one. A shoot sucker. Yeah. What does a shoot sucker mean? To cut off the part of the vine that is not bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Mm -hmm. You cut that shoot off because it's sucking the life out of those grapes that are bearing fruit out of the vine part of the vines that are bearing fruit so you got to cut off the shoot mm. because it's sucking the life out of the, the bearing fruit yeah what was your question again <laughs> well i mean if we don't abide in the vine then then what has to happen to us we have to be cut off we have to be removed grafted out you can get you can graft things into the vine but you can also graft it out to the point where you do not want this branch to ever produce anything again because it's not producing properly. So you got to cut it off mm -hmm. and just throw it away because you don't use it. They, it. Scripture even says you burn it yeah, because it's not bearing fruit. You don't need it. Correct. You just light it on fire because it's not going to produce good fruit ever. Yeah. Who removes the shoot sucker? God does. The gardener, the vine tender. Wait, you mean other vines don't remove it? No. No. Well, why do we act like that's our job in the church? Why do we think it's important for us to remove what we think isn't bearing fruit? Why do we take God's job away from him and put that pressure and that responsibility on ourselves? I mean, am I wrong or do have we noticed people that have done that before? Mm -hmm. I think it's because people just want them to like them and to be in authority because those that are placed in authority, well, then they're popular and they're worshiped and you have a lot of people that will come to you for advice. So if you can get a little small following of a hundred people or maybe even 50 people to listen to what you're saying, then you get all riled up and your self-esteem is a boost and you have your own little cult. You feel important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not right. Right. That's correct. It is not right. So if the father's in control of the pruning and the dressing, does it show him that we don't trust him to do it when we try and take his job away from him? Like, we don't trust you, God. You're the creator of the heavens. You're the creator of the universe. You're a creator of this earth. You're a creator of me and my children and my parents, but I don't trust you to take care of this situation, so I'm going to do it myself. Does that show that I'm trusting him, or does that and does that show that I'm united with him? Does that show that I'm one with him? Or does that show that I'm trying to take things into my own hands because I know better and making myself elevated above God? And in do, whenever you do do that, do do that, whenever you do do that, you start becoming the branch that can that doesn't produce good fruit mm. and you need to be cut out. Take upon yourself the job of thinking, oh, that person's no good. We got to cut them out. We got to get rid of them. But in doing that, you're starting to produce less good fruit. And then you start becoming worse and worse. And then God, eventually, if you don't get your heart right, will cut you out mm -hmm. and graft you out from the, from the grapevine. Mm -hmm. And you think you're doing all this 
to help further his ministry and make you look good. But in doing that, you're actually making yourself look worse and you're killing your fruit. Yeah. And, and in this point, fruit doesn't just have to be the grapes. As I mentioned earlier, a grape leaves can be used for consumption as well. So, I mean, even the leaves start to wither away and you get that woody look to, to uh, the branch. Uh, we have a few plants here in our house. We've been able to grow them for over a year and we've been able to grow them pretty well within the house. They, they've survived uh, without being put into the sunlight necessarily. We water them. We tend to the soil. We make sure we don't overwater them. There's all these different aspects to taking care of a plant. But there's times that even though the rest of the plant looks good, there will be one branch of the plant that will die. It will not be receiving nutrients. It will not get the fertilizer that it needs or the water that it needs, almost as if it's rejected to not be a part of the rest of the plant. And as a result of it not being a part of the rest of the plant, that branch dies. Which brings me to another question. Is it possible for the shoot from the vine to make a deal with the vine dresser as to when it produces fruit, how much fruit it produces, and to keep itself from being removed? No, it can't. No, it's not possible. But yet so often we try and make deals with God as if our deal, God, if you will just do this, this one time, then I will do this. We, we try and make these deals with God as if we're in control of what's going to happen in our life. And then the opposite is also a part of our response to who he is, that if God doesn't do what I demand of him, then I'm not going to believe in him anymore. I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to obey him. We make these kinds of deals where we continue to, as Xavier said earlier, we separate ourselves out from what he really wants and we become that branch that no longer produces leaves or fruit of any sort, and, and we just kind of die away because it's not possible for us to make a deal with the vine dresser. It's not possible for us to make a deal with the vine. Hey, Jesus, give me more than what you're giving my, na- my neighbor branch up here. I want more of those nutrients. I want more of the water. I want my fruit to bear larger leaves and bigger grapes than anything else on this vine. Can we make those kinds of deals with the vine? No. However... Is it possible for the vine to produce more nutrients in certain areas of itself so that that way there are areas that do have more leaves and bigger clusters of grapes than another portion of the same plant? Yeah. Yeah. And who determines that? Is it the branch or is it the vine? The branch. With the root system and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we are comparing ourselves to what other people have out there, what we're doing is is we're preventing ourselves from the continued growth of doing exactly what the vine and the vine dresser want us to do. Because we think, oh, that person's better than I am because they have more than I have. And we look down at the one that has less than us because we say, oh, look, my grapes are bigger than his. Ha, ha, ha. My leaves are bigger than his. Ha, ha, ha. I'm so much better. But the whole reality is, is to whom much is given, much is required. And so therefore, we're not in control of what has been given to us, but we are in control of how we use it, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So you're saying that 
branches disconnect from the vine and the branches try to connect with branches instead of coming to the source of staying rooted in the vine. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Is it possible for a vine shoot to come out of the vine and yet not produce fruit? Yeah, there are certain shoots that can shoot out of a plant and doesn't produce anything, but it's just there. It's just there. And what does the vine dresser do with those shoots? Prunes it. He removes mm -hmm. them. Yeah. He removes it or prunes it? Does prunes he cut it, it back just right. to see he, if there'll be growth? Yeah, because sometimes maybe if he prunes it just right, then maybe, maybe it will grow, grow, grow back. Yeah. When I think of cutting something away, I think of my physical body getting cut. And I think of the pain that happens as a result of getting a cut on myself. Like if I'm shaving and all of a sudden I just, you know, the, the blade needed to been changed the day before and I didn't change it. And so I'm shaving and I, I nick myself just right. My response is usually, ow, like that hurt. And it's just, it doesn't have to be a big nick. It, it can be very small, not even a millimeter in size and barely a drop of blood will come out. But yet I, I feel pain as a result. I think about that with the vine dresser pruning the vine and that when he's cutting away the things that don't need to be there, that that's not something that the branch actually says, man, that felt good. I'm so glad that the vine dresser took that away. I feel like when he's cutting things away, it's not something that brings immediate elation and joy and happiness, but causes pain to that vine, causes pain to the branches. And yet the purpose, the intention of why the vine dresser is doing that is for growth, for more fruit, for better leaves. And yet the reaction of the plant itself is, is that there's no way that's got to feel good to the plant. Mm -hmm. It probably hurts a little bit. And I think about that in our lives when we are being pruned by the father, it doesn't always feel the greatest. It hurts. It's painful. Sometimes it almost feels like it's coming to a point of death, and yet what he's doing through that moment is bringing us new life or more life or giving us the opportunity to bear more fruit. It's like surgery. Mm -hmm. Like surgery. Like surgery. Because his intentions for us are good. Mm -hmm. His love for us is extreme, and his desire for us to continue to worship him is always there. But we could so easily take the pruning that God is doing in our lives and take it a negative way, thinking that he doesn't love us. We can take the shortcuts in life and neglect mm. the things that we know that we are to do. Mm -hmm. And it's easier just to listen, so to say, to keep on the vine and the branches. It's easier to listen to the other branches. Yeah. Hey, how are you outstretching yourself and getting yourself all, you know, glammed up and glowed up with your little pretty <laughs> fruit and, I want my fruit like your fruit, as you were yeah. saying earlier. And if that branch is going to be like, well, you know, I'm going to whittle my way and become disattached from this vine. That's my secret. And you, and so if you buy into me and put your branch on my branch, yeah. we will grow even extra bigger hmm. and stronger and we'll blow this vine up. You know, we'll become the branch and we'll succeed over the vine. That's what we do in life. It is. Or uh, we, can, we can pair up and let's rewrite history. Let's rewrite the Bible. Let's rewrite, you know, 
what people are saying because these people from the past that's not really what they said so we're going to write our interpretation of what people said and then people are going to believe on what we said because we made history yeah. not to think that in a hundred years from now somebody's going to rewrite what they're writing right and it's history repeats itself yep and and, and along that same parable like uh, story that we're talking about here the one that's bearing more fruit could say to the one that's bearing a little bit less fruit or smaller fruit, hey, give up some of your nutrients, pay me. And if you do, then I'm going to give you something better than you've ever had before. And the whole time that you're giving up your nutrients, the whole time you're giving up your sunlight, the whole time you're giving up that water intake, what you're doing is, is you're providing them with the ability to grow more, have better fruit, all of these things, and you suffer as a result. Mm -hmm. Not even realizing it because what you're doing is, is you're keeping your eye on what the other uh, person, the other branch, the other fruit is doing and forgetting all about yourself mm -hmm. and you're weak, you're dwindling and you're losing control of everything there is. And then we also get to a point where you have to be certain plants, even though they're producing good fruit, they're, they're good plants. They're, they're perfectly right. Uh, dead off, uh, dead offshoot comes out or something right. happens. The vine, tender he has to cut it off yeah he's got to get rid of that because that that's not good right there we need to get rid of that that way they can produce better fruit but then some of us so quickly turn to it is i'm being persecuted right now yeah the world is persecuting me because of this problem and that and that's and praise the lord that he's here but i'm being persecuted right now and it's not even the world it's god trying to remove something from your life or help you out in a different way yeah but you're seeing it as persecution from someone else instead of God literally allowing that to happen for your good. Yeah. Because scripture already says all things work together for his good through those who love him. So ultimately, I control my faith, my love, my obedience, and my trust in God. Circumstances, people, events, even demonic activity attempts to grab this power of from me of the ability that i have to control my faith love obedience and trust and yet i choose to listen trust and place my faith love and obedience into either god or circumstances or people or events or even the demonic now that i hear the truth that jesus is the messiah the savior of my life i today must choose either to abide in him and then we become one or I want to choose to abide in the other things, the circumstances. I want to abide in other people or an event or even in the demonic because I think that they will grant me what I need. To become one with Jesus, to become one with God, to become one with the Holy Spirit does not grant me success that's going to hurt some people's feelings because that's all they know when it comes to Christianity is that if I give myself over to Jesus, then he'll make me successful. I'm going to tell you, no, that's not true. Scripture does not say that at all. In fact, to become one with Jesus, this does not grant me power. It won't grant me money. It won't grant me any of these things. Those are lies that the enemy is trying to use to destroy the church today. Instead, what happens is becoming one with Christ and abiding in him does one thing, and that is this, verse 8. It glorifies the Father. When I abide in Christ, I glorify the Father. When I abide in the Holy Spirit, I glorify the Father. When I allow the Father 
to speak to me in those moments of prayer. It's not to glorify myself or to get something or to all of a sudden have some deal brokered and met. No, instead, to have communion and abide with our Heavenly Father is to glorify Him, period. Nothing else. We've got to stop looking at what's going to better me. How can I better my life? Instead, our goal in life, because He created us, is to glorify Him. So our questions have got to change. Our lifestyle has got to change. What is it in my life today that I need to allow him to prune or remove away so that that way I can better glorify him? Not so I have a better car or a better house or better children or better parents or a better relationship with my spouse or that is not what coming to Christ and abiding with him brings. No, instead, what it does, abiding with him brings us to a place where we singularly glorify the Father. However, we do get benefits from abiding in Christ. He mentions those benefits. I'm just going to go through a few of them, see if you guys can pick up on a couple of them yourselves. In verse 3, he says, abiding in him makes us clean. Sounds to me like our sins are forgiven, doesn't it to you? Mm -hmm. So if I abide in him, he'll forgive me of my sins. That is a benefit of abiding in Christ. It sounds bubbly. It sounds bubbly? bubbly. Woo! <laughs> I, get, I get clean if I'm clean, does that glorify me or does that glorify the one who cleansed me? The one who cleansed me. Absolutely. And we can't get caught up in the fact that people give us these amazing compliments like I got earlier this weekend of, oh my goodness, you and your family are such a wonderful family. You guys are so nice. It's like having my own. I've only known you today, but you're like having my own. You're like my own son and your wife is like my own daughter and, and your children are like my grandchildren. I got that compliment this past weekend. Why? Is it because I'm some super special person? No, it's because I abide in Christ. And this man recognized the fact that my sins are forgiven. And he's like, oh my goodness, I love you and your family so much. Is Jesus living inside of you, making you a super <laughs> <girl>. <laughs> Verses 2, 4, 5, and 8 says that we will bear fruit if we abide in Christ. Doesn't say how big the fruit is. Doesn't say how small the fruit is. Doesn't say how sour or how sweet or how bitter the fruit will be. It just says that we will bear fruit. And just out of curiosity, do you like sour things? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Mallory, do you like sour things? Not all the time. Do not you like sweet things? Yeah. Yes. Not all the time. No, not all the time. What about bitter? Do you like bitter things? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we add bitter things to our food in order to make it taste better, don't we? Mm -hmm. And so what does it matter if we're sweet or we're bitter or we're sour? If we're bearing fruit, we're abiding in Christ. And that's pretty good, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And if we're abiding in Christ, then we're glorifying the Father. And no matter what our sweetness, bitterness, or sourness is, isn't the issue. The issue is, are we glorifying the Father? Mm -hmm. Blair already mentioned this one, verse 7. Christ's words will live in me if I abide in Christ. Which means 
when I'm reading the Bible on a regular basis and all of a sudden a situation comes up and I need a helper, I need a reminder of what I need to do next, the Holy Spirit will recall Christ's words into my mind and all of a sudden I will be like, whoa, where did that come from? That really applies right now. You know what? I need to apply that to my life right now. Have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah. Yes. I can remember several years ago, I was out talking with a friend of mine. He was an ancient uh, merchant Navy man. <laughs> and as we were talking, he was telling me some of his scenario of life. And all of a sudden, I mean, I, I was in the Old Testament reading at that time. But yet, for some reason, what he was talking about was something from the New Testament that my friend Ponkage was talking about. And all of a sudden, it just came out of my mouth. And I was like, hey, that's just like, and it was all this scripture that just started coming out of my mouth. And he was, he just all of a sudden started crying. And he was like, that really, that really means a lot. Wow. Where's where that found at? Where, where did you get that information from? And I told him it's from the Bible. And yet it wasn't something that I was reading in that moment, but yet it was something that Ponkage needed to hear. And yet it wasn't something to glorify myself, but it was to glorify who? God, our father. Christ's word will live in me if I abide in Christ. Verses four, five, and seven, Christ himself in the person of the Holy Spirit will abide inside of me to the point where he will help me with whatever I need help with. Do I need help in obeying Christ today? The Holy Spirit's there to help me. Do I need help fulfilling a deadline today? The Holy Spirit will actually help me. Of course, my procrastination and all of the things that I want to do instead of fulfilling my deadline have to be put to the side so that that way I actually can accomplish the goal set before me. Yes, there are those circumstances where we can allow ourselves to be removed from the deadline because of procrastination. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us. Verse 8 says that we will show the world that we are Christ's disciples if we abide in him. They will know that we're Christians if we abide in him. Why? Because they see us in our moments of prayer, because they see us in our times when we're reading the Bible, because they see us in our times of worship, or is it because when we're out in public, if we are abiding in Christ and Christ in us, they will automatically recognize the spirit of Christ that is right there with us. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever recognized that in you, Blair? Absolutely. They yeah. would say, man, your smile just radiates like a sunshine. <laughs> or there's just something about you that, you know, I, I just like, I just like being with you. Mm. Like you're, ah, there's just something about you. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. And in me, I say to them, it's the light of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, <laughs> is what others will say. Verse 10 says, if we abide in him, we will be given the ability to keep his commandments. Wow, some of his commandments are hard to keep sometimes. I think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And those those aren't so hard for me sometimes. But there's one more that I didn't mention yet, and that's self-control. And that one sometimes is tough for me. To be self-controlled is to be a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And yet that's a tough one for me. But when I abide in Christ, he gives me the ability to be self-controlled. Did you have some other commandments that he gives? Sometimes they're hard for us to keep, mm-hmm. but yet he gives us the Holy Spirit, our helper, and we can accomplish keeping his commandments. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, 10, and 12 say that if we abide in Christ, he will give us love. 
And the amazing way love works, like we were talking a little bit about last week, is, is that my love for God will grow to new extremes if I abide in Christ. My love for myself will grow in new extremes. And my love for others will grow. My love will exponentially grow so that that way I am a more loving person if I abide in Christ. And when we talk about love, we're not talking about the perverted way that the world refers to it. We're talking about love in the way that God originally intended and created love to be acceptance, comfort, peace, joy, care, all those things that we long to have when we're little and we want our, when we're really little, when we're infants and we want to feel loved. Sometimes that means that we want our mom to love us and comfort us and cuddle us and keep her in her arms close to her, as close to her body so that that way we can hear her heartbeat. And as an infant that shows us that our mom loves us. And sometimes as an infant, as Xavier did when he was little, in order to go to sleep, we want peace and comfort. And so we climb up into our father's arms and stick our head right up underneath his neck and, and make him lay down on the bed so that that way we can put our head right there underneath his neck and, hold, and have him wrap his arms around us and hold us and we'll fall asleep in complete peace. And that is a form of love. And yet... As a 43-year-old man, I can't crawl up into my mom and my dad's arms in the same way that I could back then. But that expression of love is still what I desire, and I receive it from God, my heavenly Father. He comforts me and cares for me in those ways. Verse 11, fullness of joy he promises us if we abide in him. That's pretty cool stuff, that he would grant us joy as we abide in him. Not sorrow and doom and gloom and depression. And Am I saying that we don't experience those things sometimes? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying as we abide in him, even in those moments of gloom, despair, and depression, he grants us joy. In the midst of a pandemic, he grants us joy. In the midst of losing our job, he grants us joy. In the midst of starting something new and having all the fears that are tied to that, he grants us joy as we abide in him. Are there any other things that we see, that you guys see, or that you have experienced that God has granted you because of abiding in him? Abiding in Christ, another thing I would see for me personally would just be an assurance, an assurance oh. that he's my heavenly father. Yeah. When my earthly father wasn't present in aspects and ways of life, that I lived as a young girl and even growing up into adulthood and now I'm really an adult. <laughs> and my earthly father isn't here. Christ Jesus is my heavenly father. The assurance is he's always there. He's always provided. He's always a listening ear. And he does bring that comfort in times of when there's a, events or things to go to and it's like, oh, this is a father event that you would do with your daughters and your father only. I never had those opportunities to go and do those kinds of things. Or even on the day I got married, hmm. my dad isn't the one that walked me down the aisle to say, you know, her mom and I give you, Matthew Kane, we entrust you to marry our daughter. My dad didn't do that. Right. My, my, my dad has never met you. Right. And, and that's okay. Hmm. Because my heavenly father has met you. My 
Heavenly Father has assured, I'm right here with you every step of the way through the good, the bad, the ugly. And he has never left. He has never forsaken me. He's always been and will continue to always be as long as I'm continuing to abide in him and in his word daily. Again, he grants us peace and comfort, which goes with his commandments. Getting older seems hard. Like whenever I was little, I always remember wanting to grow up and to be 16, like the age I am now. I always thought 16-year-olds were so cool. They were so responsible. They were always really cool. They'd hang out with you sometimes, and they'd be really nice. And whenever my sister was 16, I used to think she was so cool. And now I'm 16, and I don't really feel any different. <laughs> I mean, like, 16's not that great. <laughs> like, going from four years, three to four years old to 16... I, I don't feel like 16-year-olds are really that, that cool anymore. But whenever I was really young, you know, you look up to them. Mm -hmm. But then, like, the older I got, the more responsibilities I gained, the more I learned about stuff, the more stuff I had to deal with. And I was like, I don't want to get older anymore. I want to go back to how I was when I was little. I didn't know anything. <laughs> like, I don't know why I wasn't... I, happy with where i was like i'm more happy i would have been i'd be more happy right now if i was 34 years old instead of being 16 and having to go through all this stuff and trying to understand diseases and problems that our family has and complications that we have within our own bodies and trying to understand politics and the government and how the world works like when i was little i didn't care about that that didn't that's not stuff that concerned me. But the older I got, the more it's become part of my life. And I'm like, the world is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, God grants us a comfort and peace of living in this crazy world. And yet, he'll help us out whenever we need help, yeah. if we abide in him. And he'll help us understand. And not all of that always matters. All that really matters is that we really abide in him. And he'll help us through that. And grant us peace to continue to live in this time. So the things that we've discovered today are abiding in Christ. What it means not to abide in Christ. The benefits of abiding in Christ. And last, I want to look at the greatest proof of a person who abides in Christ. And that's found in verse 12. He says, love one another as I have loved you. That's the greatest proof that there is that Christ and I are abiding together. So when I say love one another, when Jesus says love one another as I have loved you, what are the proofs of Christ's love to you? What are the characteristics of his proof that he loves you? He cares for us. Mm -hmm. he, he takes care of us. Any troubles we need, he'll help us out with them. He cared for us so much that he came down to die for us, mm -hmm. given his life to us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he even cares for us so much that whenever we follow his commandments and everything like that, he gives us joy to move on, to live life, because mm -hmm. he cares and takes care of us and loves us so much that he knows that we need joy. Yeah. We need to be happy. We need to enjoy life. Any other characteristics that you know Jesus beyond a shadow of a doubt has given you? I think everything he has given to us, like like as they were saved, joy, comfort. Because I never saw my mom 
so I always missed her like when I saw others mom oh mm. she cared about this but when I came to in Christ I feel like oh he he's my mom he's my dad mm-hmm. my father never loved me so I always think oh I don't nobody loves me but he have given so many people who loves me a lot he's a provider yeah, yeah. provider that's great yeah, yeah. anything mm-hmm. forgiveness referencing verse 12 this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you christ has forgiven me i am forgiven so there's a few things that i think of i think of without christ i was so weak and he's given me strength his love has strengthened me i think of the peace that he's given me Uh, we talked about peace a couple of times now and sometimes that means stillness sometimes that means in the midst of chaos having a mind that is able to see everything going on all around me but yet not be so distracted by everything going on around me yet having a peace that provides me the path that i need in order to live life in accordance with abiding in him i think of the hope that he grants me that as I abide in Christ, he abides in me and then grants me eternal life with him. What a hope we have there. And then along with the forgiveness and the sacrifice that were mentioned by Blair and Xavier and Aisha, I think of the fact that he saved me from myself, saved me from the destruction that the enemy desired to infiltrate on my life, and he saved me so that that way I would be made whole. So if those are characteristics of Christ's love, providing and joy and peace, salvation and forgiveness, if those are characteristics, hope and strength and help, comfort and giving and sacrificing, if those are some, not even all, I mean, we're just talking about the tip of the iceberg of the things that Christ has showed us that he loves us by. If that's proof of his love to us, then those are the same things that I do for others. I give of myself for others. I help strengthen the weak, not because I'm the savior, not because I will be successful if I do those things, not so that that way I can gain more financial peace or more money from somebody by manipulating that money out of them, but instead I love unconditionally, meaning there's no conditions on giving. There's no conditions on helping provide for somebody. If, you know, I don't say to Mallory, I provided for you for these past 12 years, and this is what your bill comes to, and you better pay me this amount. I don't do that. I don't say, okay, you've been in my house 16 years, Xavier, and this is what the bill comes to, or Addison, who's not able to be here with us right now. I don't say, okay, this is what your bill comes to. You lived with us for 21 years of your life. No, I love Addison. I love Aisha. I love Mallory. I love Xavier. I love them so much that I will unconditionally give. And that's exactly what Christ asks of us. But he doesn't just say, to do that with your family. That's what everybody does. Everybody shows that kind of love to their family for the most part. Don't get me wrong. I know that there's derelicts out there. I know there's people out there that don't care about their kids and don't care about their parents and don't care. I know they're so self-consumed. I know there's people out there like that, but for the rest of us, for the majority of us that do love in this unconditional way, our wives and our children, Jesus isn't even saying to love just them that way. Or just love yourself that way. But to love others that way. 
That means somebody who's got different color skin than you have, different color hair than you have, different color eye color than you have, different sexual orientation than you have. If this is how he loves us, then by the same measure, we're to love others. No exception. Not for our glory and not for a cause's glory and not for social justice, but so that way God, our heavenly father, can be glorified. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will worship Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.